right, open your Bibles this morning to the book of Job, chapter number 23, please. Job, chapter number 23. As I thought about the message for today, I, uh, as I normally do, the the last thing I do is to think about the introduction. It might seem a bit strange to some folks that have never preached, but believe me, it works better when you prepare the message and then work on the introduction afterwards. And uh, it also helps if you realize that the introduction can be just as important as the message itself because if people don't listen, you haven't gained a thing. The problem is, the more I worked on my introduction, it got so it was going to be longer than the sermon, so I'm going to leave off the introduction and get to the sermon. But uh, I, I do want to mention the fact that, you know, time has a way of changing our perspective on things. I think we'd all agree with that. You know, whether you're 8 or whether you're 80, uh, over the course of time, you look at things different. And I remember as a young preacher, it was all about, it was all about learning and teaching. In other words, the main emphasis to me was on instruction. You know, you, 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 you you know, you've got to teach the people. You've got to learn. And you've got to make sure that all of the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted. And that we've got to make sure we're doctrinally correct. And let me tell you something. That ought to never stop. It ought to be that way. But the, the problem is sometimes we can get so focused on instruction that we forget about the fact that people also need inspiration because it doesn't make any difference how much they know how orthodox they are in their doctrine it doesn't make any difference if they don't have enough inspiration to put it in shoe leather and to live it out in the world and all of us at some point in time need to be inspired we need to be encouraged. There are all sorts of factors that enter into this that can either help us or hinder us whenever we think about the need for inspiration. It might be, uh, it might be old age, and uh, it has a way of affecting some people more than others. It, it, might, be, uh, it might be a matter of poor health. It might be a matter of domestic strife. It might be a matter of wayward children. It might be a matter of personal sin. Not anything makes me feel worse about myself than to know that I've, that I've sinned. And then not only, not only sin, but just plain old failure in life. And that can have a way of getting us down. And what we've got to realize is in seeking the inspiration we need to live out the Christian truths, 
the best and only place to really find what you're looking for is the instruction of God's Word. So you see those two things tie together. They've got to go together. Because a simple pep rally is not going to keep you going. You've got to have more than that. And this morning, I want us to look at a story here in the Bible that I hope will be an inspiration to your heart. Whenever you think about the title, it just really seems a bit odd because the title of the message is Finding God. And I want you to notice what Job says here in chapter number 23, verse number 1. And then Job answered and said, Even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. In other words, he's saying that it's worse than what I'm saying. What I'm going through is more difficult than what I'm telling you. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. Now, verse 8, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. Backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. Here's a picture of a man in a desperate situation. And since all of us dislike pain, I think all of us ought to be interested in this story. Since we all live in a sinful world, we can all expect suffering of some kind. And when we sin, we end up making it worse. A lot of times, however, even when we're doing our best, even when we're seemingly doing everything right, problems arise nevertheless. And that was the case we find with Job. The Bible tells us that Job was a godly man. The Bible tells us that he was a great man. And yet, some way or another, Satan gained the advantage over him and access into his life. And the strange thing is, is that it happened as a result of a meeting going on in heaven between the Lord and Satan. It was not to be attributed to anything that was happening here on this earth. You see, there's a lot of stuff happening in this universe that you and I don't know anything about, but it affects us. It's not just about what's going on in your life and the things that you're conscious of. And the Bible is clear, very clear about the fact that what happened to Job was not in any way due to any fault in his life. He was the best of of all men here upon the earth at that time. And the Lord wants us to understand it's not because he had failed not because he had sinned, not because he was selfish or anything else, but rather it was something that God was doing that Job did not understand. And it affected him in numerous ways. Whenever you look back to chapter number 1 and we think about his great wealth that says in verse number 3 that his substance was 7,000 sheep, and 3,000 camels, and 500 yoke of oxen, 
and 500 she-asses in a very great household. And notice it says, this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. Now, I, 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 I don't know how that adds up in dollars and cents, but that's got to be a lot of money. It was more money than anybody else had. He's the greatest of all of the men in the East. So here is a man that had great wealth. And he is affected by what happened financially. Please be respectful. Please, if your phone, either put it on, on, on vibrate or turn it off. It usually doesn't bother me, but it is this morning and I hear it. Uh, but... Uh, Back in 29, when the stock market crashed, there were people that lost everything they had, and it so affected them that they literally leaped out of the skyscrapers to their death. Now, I've got to tell you, I don't think, if I know my heart at all, I don't think losing all of my finances... Whatever I've got, I don't think it ever caused me to be so distraught that I want to kill myself. I mean, it's just not that important to me. Uh, now, to lose my family, that'd be something else, wouldn't it? And to lose all of my family. Here's a man that had seven sons and three daughters, and he lost them. So his family is affected, his finances are affected. His flesh is affected. There is a loathsome disease in his body, and I picture him out there scraping those putrid running sores with a potsherd, and here he is just eat up with those, those cancerous-looking tumors all over his body. And then not only does it affect his flesh, it affects his friends, at least so-called friends. And I'm sure they got along quite well before this happened. But all of a sudden, when all of these things began to happen, the friends come with the intent of encouraging him, but in reality they planned to straighten him out. They were going to get him back on the right track. And they let it be known that in their opinion the whole problem was that there had to be some hypocrisy in his life. That, Job, you're not as good as you pretend to be. There's got to be some reason that God's dealing with you like this. And by the way, if we're not careful so many times, we start thinking that about people. We'll see someone going through a difficult time and we'll jump to conclusions and we'll assume, well, there must be something wrong in their life. Just look at all of the bad things happening to them. And so basically he lost his friends through this whole situation. It even even affected his faith in a sense. It affected his faith not in the sense that he stopped believing in God or not that he cursed God. He refused to do that. But you can see him in a desperate situation here. He, he, he says, oh, that I knew where I might find him. 
This man that loves God so much that has lost everything he has is now so effective that God seems distant, far off. He feels that God has abandoned him. And he doesn't know why. Because there's no explanation given. How many times have we found ourselves in a situation like that? You know, we're looking for answers and God's not talking. Now remember, all of this happened nearly immediately. I mean, we're talking about just a matter of days, and all of this has transpired, and it affects his wife to the standpoint that she finally says, why don't you just curse God and die? I mean, you'd be better off dead. So, you know, it's kind of easy then when you put yourself in his sandals and begin to realize that if suddenly you lost everything you had, all of your worldly goods, all of your children, they're all dead and gone. You lost your health. Your spouse is now turned against you. All of your friends are criticizing you. You might just start feeling like that I've been deserted. Where is God? He is looking for God. Now, let me remind you, God's not lost. That's not the point, you see. God's not lost. And, you know, in our heart, we know that, right? Even when we feel that way, we feel that God is afar off. We try to pray, and when we pray, heaven is like brass. It just seems like our prayers don't go any higher than the ceiling and... uh, So we have that feeling of being abandoned by God. So where do you find God in a time like that? And you know, if you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, well, I'll tell you what, I must be stronger than Job because I don't think I would ever feel that way about God. You scare me. You scare me. Let me tell you, if God wants to, He can turn up the heat. And believe me, all of a sudden you'll think God must be dead, mighty sick, or on vacation. Because you will have no sense of His presence. You say, well, does God do stuff like that? He did to Israel. Whenever they turned away from God, it says He forsook them. And God will hide Himself from you if that's what it takes in order to get you to seek Him. So how do you find God? Well, the story of Job, and right here in this chapter, I believe Job, intentionally or not, Job explains to us how we find God in a time like that. Notice verse number 10, and here is the first thing that we need to do Notice he says in verse number 10, He knoweth, He knoweth the way that I take. The first thing we need to do is to imagine the intimacy of God. And notice that word, He knoweth. And that means a lot more than just being conscious of or aware of. It implies that God cares. 
In the Old Testament, you'll find that word no used in reference even of sexual relationships between a man and his wife, where it talks about Adam knew Eve. That doesn't mean that he just happened to know who she was. It's talking about the intimate relationship that he had with her. And so many times, you know, we think of God as our creator. Well, you know, that's that's wonderful to think God's my creator. You know, he has all power and this great wisdom. He, he made me. That, that's great. God is my judge. God is the supreme authority in my life. Or we speak about God as being our Father. That's such an endearing term, is it not? God is our Father. Wow. He loves us. But when we think about a relationship of intimacy, that is entirely different. I have a different relationship with with my wife than anybody, mom, dad. My mom and dad, as much as I love them, I was never as close to them as I am to my wife. You, you know, whenever it says they, they too shall become one flesh, and after a while you begin to think alike. It's, it's like, what's going on here? She, she really does know what I'm thinking you know, we like to say, oh, you know, you can't read my thoughts. Uh, well, sometimes they can, both ways. We just know each other. There's something different about that. And, and, and we need to understand that in our relationship with the, Lord, with the Lord, it's more than Him just knowing we're down here. It's more than Him just being aware that we're hurting and in a time of need. It's more than that. It's the fact that He cares and He cares deeply about what's going on in our life. And that's what Job's saying. He knoweth the way that I take. He knows precisely what's going on in my life. And whenever I'm tried, He said, I'll come forth as gold. In other words, God's not through with me. God is working on me. So there was that that awareness of an intimate relationship with God. Most people have never really ever studied the Song of Solomon. Maybe you ought to do that sometime. I've, I've heard preachers say and suggest that, that we ought not even teach the Song of Solomon to a mixed audience. I don't know what made them so smart, but I just I, I just think that's pretty stupid myself. But it's speaking about the intimate relationship that we have with God Himself. And when we're going through those hard trials, we need to remember that as a child of God, we have an intimate relationship with God. He knows us. But then secondly, we have to submit to the sovereignty of God. He said, He knoweth the way that I take. But look at the last part of that. He said, uh, When He hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. I shall come forth 
as gold. You, you see, he didn't know why God was allowing this to happen, but he was convinced that God had a purpose and a plan in it, and the bottom line, end result, was going to be that he was going to be better. He was aware of the fact that there were impurities in his life. But he said, when he gets finished with me, all of that's going to be gone. When we talk about the sovereignty of God, that means that God is God, and he can do, and he will do what he pleases. He can do and He will do what He pleases. And He's never seeking our counsel before He acts. He never has to gain our approval before He makes a decision. That's why the Apostle Paul repeatedly expressed great confidence in the Lord. Remember He told the church At Philippi, he said he was confident that the Lord would complete that which he started in them. I'll never forget whenever we packed our bags and moved from Missouri, and it was with great concern for that church that we had started there. And I preached from Philippians chapter number 1 and did my best to assure them that, look, This work wasn't built on me. It doesn't depend on me that God will complete the work that he started. Look, folks, God is sovereign. God's not depending on us. We might feel like everything depends on me, but it doesn't. It's all about God and what God can do. The perfect story of that, I think, is in the story of Joseph. It's a story that I think all of us know well. Here is a, here is a young, fine young man that for no reason at all other than their sinful pride, his brothers decided they're going to sell him into slavery. Remember, he is sold into slavery. He is falsely accused. He's thrown in prison. He is forgotten. And absolutely everything seems to be going wrong in his life. But God had a plan. And you see, it was through the pain and the suffering that Joseph experienced that he was able to help and to deliver his nation. And so when the time came that Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Think about all he's been through. And it's kind of like he's saying, you know, it's all right. And notice he says God meant it for good. In other words, God is not only the author and the finisher of our faith. God is the author and the finisher of everything that happens in our life. All of the details of our life and the things that we don't understand, the things we don't appreciate, the things that we would never invite into our life, the things that we would resist with all of our strength, and yet God does it anyway. All of this, you know, in our mind was being forced upon Joseph, contrary to what he would have chosen for himself. And yet it was for good. That's what Job is saying. I don't understand why God's doing this to me. 
He says, I searched my heart. I can't find any reason that I have provoked God to anger against me. And the only time Job really ever got out of line is when Job became so intent on trying to justify himself. And finally, God brought him to his senses and made him to realize that Job is not about you, buddy. Not about you at all. It's all about me. I am a sovereign God. I'm going to do as I please. And let me tell you, God has every right to do that in in our lives. And the bottom line end result is that God's going to cause some good to come out of it. Paul knew that, and that's why he said in Second Corinthians chapter four, verse seventeen, he said but our light afflictions. Now think about that. You, you read all of the stuff that Paul went through, all of the suffering, the beatings, the torment, the imprisonment, all of the horrible things he went through. And he says all of these light afflictions. He said they're but for a moment. And, and what he said was true in comparison to glory. They're but for a moment. And notice he said, and they worketh. What? For us. Not not against us. All of these things that are so very painful, he says, are actually working for us in some way. And they bring us a far more exceeding weight of glory. In other words, they're not only working for us, they're working for us for eternity. Because it's not all about what you do here on this earth. God has a much bigger plan than that. And if we fail to recognize the sovereign right of God in our lives, we're forever going to be frustrated and discontent with our lives. Now look at verse 11. Here's the third thing we have to do if we're going to find God. And that is to continue on course. He says, My foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. That is, I haven't wandered off course. I haven't gone astray. I can't even begin to tell you how important this is, folks, because most people, when the going gets tough, they give up. They quit. And we see it happen all of the time. Something will happen. I'm talking about something that is really unfair. Someone really did mistreat them. I'm talking about something that might have been very painful to them. I'm talking about the fact that someone failed them and so they allow the failure of somebody else to become their downfall. Maybe they conclude there's just too many hypocrites in the church. I'm not going back. Why would you disobey God because everybody else is? I mean, if what you say is true, what right does that give you to quit on God? Other people get distracted. They don't really quit. They know better than that. 
They have a fear of God in their heart. They're not going to throw in the towel. They're not going to quit. They know that would get them in trouble with God, so they're not going to quit. But they get so distracted by all of the negative, so distracted by all of the wrongdoing, the faults and the failures of everybody else, they get so distracted that they don't quit, but they wander off course. And notice what he says, My foot hath held his steps. We sing that old song, walking in the steps of the Savior. Amen. That's what we ought to do. His way have I kept. I'm walking in the King's highway. I haven't strayed off course. Continue your course. Look, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. But even if you have to weep, while you do it, don't quit. Remember what the psalmist said, He that goeth forth weeping and bearing precious seed shall come again rejoicing. Amen. You may have to weep because you're hurting. It may be that there's something else troubling you and you are embarrassed. Listen, if you have to sit and suck your thumb... Don't quit on God. Do whatever else you've got to do, but you've got to stay on course because you think you've got problems now. You ain't seen nothing yet compared to what God could do and might do if you get off course. And then there's another thing that has to take place, and that's in verse number 12. We have to forge forward regardless of what's going on. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Now maybe, you, maybe you're thinking that this is what we've been talking about, but it's not. You, you see, it's one thing to continue on course. It's another thing to forge forward. In other words, it's one thing to be on the right path. It's another thing to be making progress. You with me? You can be on the right road, but you can be sitting down on on, on the stool to do nothing. You're on the right road. You believe all of the right things. You haven't changed anything you believe about God. It's not that you want to hurt anyone, but you're just not making any progress. You see, we have a tendency when things don't go our way to start coasting. And as I've often said, the best definition of a backslider that I know of is whenever we cease to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're backslidden. You might know more about the Bible than anybody in the church. You might give more to the Lord than anybody in the church. You might work harder than anybody in the church, but the very minute you stop growing as a Christian, you are in a backslidden condition because we should forever be going forward and making progress in our Christian life. There's no stopping place because there's not not a one of us that has arrived at a level of spiritual maturity that we can look back, you know, and uh, say, well, I've finally, I finally made it. I, I'm, I'm everything I need to be for the time being. No, you're not. If you think you are, 
you just turn and you look up the mountain a little higher and there you look into the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is our example. And I'm telling you, don't measure up. We always come short of his glory, so there's always room for growth. And we've got to keep moving forward if we're ever going to get back to that place that we are living in the conscious prayer, uh, presence of God, in the awareness of the fact that we have an intimate relationship with God. The psalmist said, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. And then he said, It is good for me that I have been afflicted. It's good for me. Well, it might be good for us, but it can be very difficult to deal with, right? It was difficult for Job. He was the best man on earth at that time. But it was difficult. If it was difficult for him, I suspect there are going to be some times in your life that it's going to be difficult for you. What are you going to do about it? Job mentioned these four things. And I want you to notice very carefully that last one where he talks about the fact that he says, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. That word esteem has to do with highly valuing something. Value, you attach great value to it. Look at the first part of that verse again. Neither have I gone back, what? From the commandment of his lips. Why? God left you. Why don't you leave God? God quit on you. Why don't you quit on God? He's saying, even though I'm going through all of these things, I haven't gone back from the commandments of the Lord. Why wouldn't you? He said, because I value His Word more than I do my daily food. If it ever dawns upon you how important that verse is, you'll never neglect your Bible study and reading again. I'll guarantee you that. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. If you're going to keep going, you're going to have to feed upon the word of God because it's the strength that you draw from it that's going to keep you going. How does that work? Well, for one thing, it reminds you that your suffering is not in vain, that God has a plan. Remember over in Jeremiah, and remember, at that time the Jews are in captivity in Babylon, Jeremiah chapter 29, you don't need to turn there unless you want to, where he says that I have plans for you, I've thought, I've thought upon thee. I thought, did you ever stop and think about the fact with all of the people in the world and all that's going on in the world that God's thinking about you right now? Let's go back to having that intimate relationship with God. God. Regardless of how far away God seems, God is right there all of the time. He hasn't moved a bit. And in knowing that, and, and resting assured that God knows where I'm at, God knows what's going on in my life, God is thinking about me. That, that ought to excite anyone to think that we're always on his mind. 
But then he said, and I have plans for you. Now remember, the Jews are in captivity in Babylon. It seems like God has abandoned them. God has forgotten all about them. There doesn't seem to be any hope whatsoever. And it's in that desperate situation that God is speaking to them and assuring them, I know what's going on. I'm involved in what's going on in your life, and I've got plans for you. And that is just as true of you as it was of Israel. Just as true for you as it was of Joseph. Just as true as it was for Job. And Job was absolutely certain that when this is all over and the dust is cleared, And even if I never understand the reason why, when it's all over and said and done, I'll come forth pure as gold. If we'll focus on these four things that I've talked about this morning, we can find God in absolutely any situation we ever find ourselves in. And if that doesn't encourage you, then I, I, I don't have anything else to say, nothing else I can do. You be encouraged in the fact that God cares more about you than you care about yourself. He knows more about you than you know about yourself. You think you know what's best for you. No, you don't. But God does. And the things that we would never choose for ourselves, God says, well, I'm going to do it anyway. You won't choose it, but I'm going to do it. Because I know in the end, it'll be for their good and my glory. And he's sovereign, and he can, and he will. I hope you find God in your experience here this morning and leave here with a heart full of joy. Let's stand and bow our heads together. Father, how we thank you for your loving kindness and all of your blessings. How we thank you for your word, for the precious word, the precious promises that assure us that even at this moment, regardless of the situation, you're thinking about us personally. And you know every detail of what's going on in our life. And it's all a part of some plan that we cannot understand, but some plan that we know, according to your promise, ultimately is going to be for our good. So may we this morning stop trying to live by our feelings and live by faith and trust you, knowing that you know better than we do what we need. And may we commit our ways into your hands and not turn aside and not sit down and give up, but to keep pressing on regardless of the difficulty of the way. Encourage someone here this morning with your word, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.